Praise God, praise God. Children, you are dismissed at this time. Thank you, team. What a powerful time of worship this morning. Thank you. Do you need a hand? I'll kick it around. I'll probably trip over it. That'd be crazy. All right, there's good. Uh, if you haven't been here, if this is your first week, uh, or maybe it's uh, you missed a few weeks, um, we've been in a series over this uh, month of February called What's Love Got to Do With It? What's Love Got to Do With It? And, and no, it's actually not about Tina Turner, in case you were wondering. <laughs> but she came up with that, right? And uh, we've been going through 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, you know, hopefully we've become a little bit more familiar with this passage. This is a passage that... Um, Maybe some of us have only ever heard at a wedding. It read at one point during a wedding. Maybe we have a, a painting or something on our wall at our house. But it's, it's really, in my, in my Bible anyway, the chapter heading for it is the way of love. The way of love. And as we're in February, the month of love, uh, we've been talking about love. And, you know, what's love got to do with it? What's it all about? And so this is a passage that we've been working through. And I invite you to turn there with me this morning as we once again read it as we complete this series uh, today, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For when we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I, know, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we go to your word this morning, I echo what we just sang as your people. I need you. I need you, Lord. You are the, the guidance that I need to bring your word to these people, to your church gathered together. Lord, I would just ask that you would open the eyes of every heart in this room, that you would still their minds of the things that happened this week, the things to come, and that they would be able to sit now at your feet and not just to learn more about you, but that your spirit would transform their hearts and their lives because of your word proclaimed. We love you, Lord. We do, and we are so thankful for your love. And as we share together about your love, I would just ask that you would give us the ability to not only hear it, but put it into action so that we would go out into the world that desperately needs your love, desperately needs to see another way, and that we would be your witnesses, 
and that people would ask us, why do you live this way? Why do you serve this way? Why do you love this way? And we'd be able to tell them about Jesus, the one who defeated our sin, the one who defeated our brokenness, the one who took it all on on a cross, was buried in a tomb and three days rose again. We put all our hope in you, Lord, and we ask that even now that you would be guiding us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you don't know, I'm, a, I'm the father of uh, two little girls, two little girls, Lydia and Madeline, and uh, they're the, uh, the joy of my life. They have me wrapped around their, my finger, or their finger in many ways, um, and uh, I'm okay with that, to be honest. Um, and, you know, as a father, one of the things that I think a lot about with my relationship with them is just to make sure that they're, that they're, they're firm and knowing that my love for them is unconditional, that my love for them is, is complete all the time, to the point where one of my favorite things to do, them, do with them, I've done it since they were kids, and this may sound silly, I don't know if I shared this before, one of my favorite things to do since they've been kids is, is play this game at bedtime, where I will actually say to them, like, you know, do you know how much I love you? And either, of, either one of them will do it, they'll say, well, daddy, more than anything in the whole wide world, that's what I tell them. And I said, yeah, but, but what if you break the TV? Well, I still love you. And they'll say, oh, yes, I'll still love you. And then I said, well, well, what if you crash the car? Well, I still love you. And they'll laugh. And they'll say, yes, of course, you'll still love me. And uh, just last night, I said to Lydia, what if, what if you rob a bank? And she said, well, she's like, she, she giggled. And she said, well, Daddy, that's, you'd be really mad. <laughs> but I know you still love me but I know you still love me. And so sometimes it's gotten to the point now where sometimes they fill in the blank for it. And it's just a little silly game to them. And, and, but I hope for them it's, it's much more than that. Because here's the thing. I'm convinced more than anything that my kids need to know about their father's love. That they need to know that there is nothing in this entire world that would outlast my love for them. That they, would, that they would find out that, that their, dad, their dad, if they're sure about anything, that they're, they're sure about their dad's love. And I think, I believe actually that if they're so sure about this, that not only will that give them a proper view of the love of their, from their father, but it will also give them a proper view of themselves. Like they'll be able to see themselves in a healthy way. They won't actually see themselves as needing something or searching for something someplace else that would actually bring harm to their life. And so I believe if they have a proper view of their father's love, that, it would, that I'm, I'm praying and I'm hoping that as they have a loving home, that it shapes them with a proper view of self, and then they then from that, they would have a proper view of life. Because I've talked to so many people, both in my time as a police officer and as my time as a pastor, who didn't have loving homes. And some of you here probably experienced that. They didn't have the love of a father. They didn't know love at home. And then so their view of their self was not somebody who was loved, but maybe someone who was worthless. Maybe it was someone who needed to strive for other things or to look for love in wrong places. And then their, your view of life for a while maybe even was shaped to where you were, those, those things that you were looking for drove your priorities. And I want my girls so, I pray for them always. Don't we as parents do this? I want their priorities to be and their pursuits to be formed around the love. And I know that as a dad, it's scary for me, but I know as a dad, two things. 
that my love for my children is going to shape how they're going to see the love of the Father in heaven. The other thing that I know as as a dad is that chances are they're going to look for somebody to marry a husband who reminds them of their dad. And that's scary. (laughs) Everybody, amen, right? Here's the thing. I don't think that for us, though, that we're any different from my kids. I think that for us, this is important, too. I think that for Christians, it's so important for us to understand the love of our Heavenly Father. I really do. I think that it's, it's the thing that we need to know because I truly believe that knowing the love of our Father and understanding how he sees each and every one of us, how what his view of you will shape your identity as a, as a child of God, and if your identity, your understanding of who you are is shaped by him and him alone, then your life will be shaped by ser- to serve him and to live for him. And your priorities and the things that you pursue will flow from that. And it all begins with understanding the Father's love. I'm convinced of that. And the priorities and the pursuits we do. And this, this, this idea of what's the priorities, the idea of what's the pursuits, I'm backwards here, it has to be shaped by understanding that nothing will outlast love. And so Paul's talking to a group in Corinth a church in Corinth, all the way through 1 Corinthians 13. We've talked about this over the last two weeks. A church of people who followed Jesus, who had their priorities all messed up. They were pursuing things that were temporary. They weren't pursuing that which was eternal, that which was unconditional. They were pursuing all of these things, and out of all of the things that they were pursuing, out of all of the ways that they were in in conflict with one another, out of all of the ways that they were going against one another to the point of even taking God's own spiritual gifts that he gave them and allowing that to position themselves over one another, the number one thing that they failed at was understanding love, and understanding that nothing's more important than love. And once again, so as we finish this passage today, Paul wants to talk to them. Paul wants to rearrange their priorities. Paul wants to make sure that their pursuits as a church are shaped by understanding the love of the Father, understanding what that means about their identity, and that their pursuits would be for the things of love rather than the temporary things of this world. And so he continues, we should continue today. In this last section, starting at verse 8, Paul makes it very clear that nothing outlasts the Father's love. He says it this way, love never ends. It couldn't be any more simple, could it? The Greek for ends here, the original language, it actually could mean that love never falls apart. Love never fails. Maybe some of your translations say that. Love never quits. We talked about that last week, didn't we? That in the middle of the gap between expectations and reality, when we're in a relationship with people that we love, that the way that you fill that gap is to say, love always, love never fails, love never quits, love never ends. And then he goes on to talk about these gifts again. He goes on to talk to them and say, listen, it's, posit- it's possible that you're pursuing other things in this in this." conversation. It's possible you're pursuing gifts. And I want you to know that the things that you're pursuing, they're not forever. And your priorities and your pursuits are being shaped by something different. So he talks about the gifts. He says the prophecies, they're going to pass away. 
the ability to have a prophetic word from God, they'll pass away. In fact, there will be a time where there'll be no more need for prophets. There's not gonna be a need for the church to share a message from God. There's gonna be no need for the church to have special revelation from God because you know what's gonna happen? One day we're gonna stand before him and everything will come clear. So guess what? Prophecy is gonna go away. And tongues, the gift of tongues, it's gonna cease. You know why? Because there's gonna be no need for people to be able to, by the, the Spirit of God, speak other languages because we're all gonna be in heaven. We're all gonna know God and we're all gonna be able to, we're gonna be in, in, singing in our different tongues and yet I believe that we're gonna, we're gonna know it. And there's gonna be no need for a special word from God in the speaking of tongues because that's not gonna be needed either. We're gonna be in front of God himself. So they're gonna cease. And, and then he goes, as for knowledge, it'll pass away. There's going to be no need for more knowledge. And if you were here for the first week, we said that Paul said specifically these three things, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. If you pursued those without love, you had what? Who remembers? Nothing. And the reason is, is because they're going away. They're not eternal. So Paul says, stop pursuing that which is not eternal. And he goes on and he says, this is what's going to happen at the end of time. Everything else is going to go away except one thing. Because now, right now, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Our knowledge is imperfect. No matter what we think about how well we know things, no matter how well we strive after, believe me, I'm not, I want my kids to have a good education. I love the scientific advances and the technological advances we're having, but Paul says knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge, no matter how good we are at it, it's temporary, and we're only gonna know a part. We're never gonna know the full story. And we prophesy in part. When God gives a word to, to a prophet to share with the church, they're never going to get the full picture. No matter what we have from, from the word of man, even if it's from God, it's not a complete picture of what's coming. It's in part. We prophesy in part, but here's the deal. He says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, for those of you that aren't in church or haven't grown up in church, this isn't going to make any difference to you. But for those of you that grew up in church, You've probably heard about this passage at one point or another. You've, talked, you've probably heard arguments about it. So I'm going to jump right in, and you could write me your emails later today. But I believe what Paul is saying is what I have been saying, that there are things that are going to be passed away. There are gifts that are going to be passed away. And when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And the perfect he's referring to is the coming of Jesus Christ and the new creation. Now, there have been people that taught this in the past, and they said, well, this means that some of the sign gifts will go away, and the perfect is actually the scripture, the canon. And maybe some of you grew up hearing that. And I want you to know from the context, that doesn't make sense. In fact, in historical church, until 1906, every single commentator that wrote something about this passage agreed that the perfect was the coming of God. But then something happened in the church. And like I said, this is just extra for the people that grew up in church and maybe heard this discussion. And then something happened in 1906 in the United States of America, the new charismatic movement started. Pentecostalism, this movement of Pentecostalism started. And the, the fundamental pastors, fundamental theologians who didn't want that movement to be a reality brought a new translation or a new interpretation to, Proverbs thir- or to 1 Corinthians 13. And they said that this meant that when the, when the, when the Bible came, that, we didn't, that the whole, gifts of the Holy Spirit went away. Now, if you want to believe that, there's other places in the Bible where you can, you can build that argument, but I'm going to tell you, 1 Corinthians 13.10 is not the place where you build that argument from. Paul's very clear in this, that the perfect is going to be when Christ returns, 
when the new creation is here. And what he's trying to call all us to, look at me, listen, is that our priorities and our pursuits should be for that, that it will still remain forever. Our priorities and our pursuits must be shaped by that which is internal. So knowledge, prophecy, they're going away. But that which is perfect, when Jesus returns, when the new creation has come, those things that will still remain are the things that we should be pursuing. Those are the things that should be a priority. So he doubles down on this. Because listen, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's basically saying, listen, there's a natural progression in our life from childhood to adulthood. And right now, every single gift and every single thing that we pursue on this earth, other than that which is eternal, is childish. It is not full. In fact, you will not experience fullness. You will not experience completeness during this life until the new age when Christ returns. That's what he's saying. I gave up, and so just like that, we have to give up these things that we are pursuing that are temporary. And he goes on again. This is yet another word picture. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Again, talking about what's going to happen in the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. He's trying us to understand what it is we're supposed to be pursuing here. This word, dim, this word dimly here is an interesting word in the Greek. It, it actually means, it's actually um, enigmati, enigmati. It's the word that we get the word enigma from. And so Paul is saying, now we see in a mirror dimly. He's actually saying, now when we look at things, when we see our reflection, it's an enigma. It's a mystery. We don't see it clearly. And the Corinthians would have understood what he was getting at here because Corinth was a famous place for mirrors to be made. And Corinth was a place you went if you needed a mirror. And it wasn't until the 13th century that mirrors were made with glass like we know them now. In fact, during the time that Paul wrote this letter, mirrors would have been highly polished metal. Now think about that. No matter how much you polish a piece of metal, you're not going to get the same reflection that we now have with glass. And so he's saying to all of the people that are hearing this letter being read, right now, when you look at your reflection, you don't even see yourself clearly. Right now, when you look at the world, when you see the things that your heart is drawn to pursue, right now, even the spiritual gifts that are in the church, as he's saying to the church in Corinth, even these things are just a small picture, a glimpse of what reality is. And yet, you're pursuing those. Yet, you're pursuing the temporary. You're not pursuing that which is eternal. Because you know what? There's going to be a day. We sang about it this morning, a glorious day, when we're going to see him face to face. There's going to be a day where that's as clear as our mirrors are to us. There's going to be a day when you'll be fully, you will see fully even as you have been fully known, because guess what? He already fully knows you. But there's going to be a day when everything that is temporary will go away. There's going to be a day where that which is eternal is going to be as clear as your hand in front of your face. And so he tells them, these are the things that we pursue because these are the things that are going to remain. So now faith, hope, and love abide. Maybe your translation says faith, hope, and love remain. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So he says faith is gonna, faith is gonna stay. 
Faith is something that we pursue. Faith is something that is going to be permanent. Faith is something that's eternal. Now, yes, we all know that faith is obviously, faith is the, in the unseen. It's, it's the belief in that which is unseen. So in many ways, when we see Jesus face to face, when the new creation comes, we will no longer need faith. But I will tell you, faith is also absolute trust in God. And I believe even when we stand before him, and even when we're singing, and even when we're worshiping to him, that our faith in him, our trust in him, our belief in him is not going to go away. In fact, it's going to never feel like it will that day. And then there's hope. There's hope. hope. Hope is obviously that expectation of the future. And yes, we have hope now. And one day when we see Jesus face to face, we will not need to anticipate anything else because that will have come to fruition. But our hope, Scripture tells us, is, an, is the anchor of our soul. And Jesus Christ, seated before the, on the right hand of the Father, in front of us, the anchor of our hope, the anchor of our love, all that we need, that'll never go away. We will be face to face with him. But he says... Love is the last, and it's the greatest of all of these. And the reason he says love is the greatest of all of these is because faith and hope are wrapped up in love. Do you remember last week as we read a little bit? Paul told us that love believes all things. Wrapped up in love is all faith. He says hope, love hopes all things. Hope is wrapped up in love. Love is the primary thing that is going to last forever. It is that which is eternal and nothing outlasts love. That should be the priority. That should be the pursuit of our life. That's why we've been talking about it for three weeks. That's why we share it in our messages. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is so important to the way that we live. That's why when I speak to my kids, I want to make sure that they understand the love of my fa- their father and that nothing outlasts that because it is the love of God, their heavenly father, that they should pursue. It's the love of God that is what's gonna give them every priority as they pursue the other things that are temporary in this world because nothing outlasts love. Now here's the critique that I hear sometimes from good Christians, and I love you, and I've heard it before. Oh, these pastors, they talk about love too much. They don't talk about judgment. They don't talk about hell. They talk too much about love. Well, I hate to break it to you, but guess what? This entire book from Genesis 1 to the maps is the greatest love story that's ever been written. Because guess what happened? A God who created us in relationship with him, to be in perfect relationship with him, loved us, and he wanted to be with us. He walked with us every single day. And then our ancestors, Adam and Eve, made a decision. They made a decision that his love wasn't enough, that his outlasting eternal love wasn't enough, and that God was holding out on them. So this, guess what they did? They started to try, strive for things that were temporary. They started to strive for things to give them satisfaction outside of the love of God. And because they made that choice, they separated themselves from his love. A chasm was cast between their relationship between them and God, and it was called sin. And you know what God did because of his love? He immediately put into place the greatest rescue plan that I've ever heard. 
And he said, I am going to chase after them and I'm going to call them to a new way and I am still going to save them because of my love. And so he chose a man named Abraham. Through his family, he was putting in this rescue plan. Then he chose a nation called Israel. And through a nation, he put in his rescue plan. And then he chose a man named David. And he said that a king that is in this line of David is going to be part of my rescue plan. And then he sent his very own son to the world as his rescue plan. Because of one thing. Because of his love for you. Folks, nothing outlasts his love, and his love compelled his pursuit of each and every one of you. It's the reason why we're here today. And it's because outside of his love, there is judgment. Outside of his love is hell, but that was not what he wanted for anyone. And if you really read this scripture, you'll find out that there is nothing that he put in place and nothing that he put in more priority than his love for you and his chasing after you. Ephesians chapter two, if you want to turn there with me, Ephesians chapter two, I don't think Paul could make it any clearer in Ephesians chapter two from verses four to nine. You could just read it if you want to hear it. Listen to what it says. Paul says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. This is a gift of God. God's love compelled his pursuit so much that even when you were lost, even when you were a sinner, even when you were far off from him, he went after you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you and it's by his grace that you have been saved because it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter if you break the TV it doesn't matter if you rob the bank it doesn't matter if you've screwed up worse than anyone else in history we have a God who's so compelled by his love that he continues to pursue you through the love of his son Jesus we all know John three sixteen. for God so what loved the world that he sent his only son. So whosoever believes in him would not perish because he doesn't want that, but would have everlasting life. God's love compelled his pursuit of you. It was his priority. You are a priority to the God who created heavens and earth because of the thing that will last forever, the thing that will outlast everything, love. And that's why once we get to know that, that's why once you understand that, that's why once his love and the love of the Father grips your heart and that becomes the core identity for how you know who you are. Just like I want my girls always to understand who they are, their father's love, so that their identity will be solid. Once that happens to you, your love for him compels your pursuit of him. It does. The more in love you fall with Jesus, the more you want to pursue him. And it's not even up to you for that because scripture tells us that when we fall in love with him and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, you know what he gives us? Love. It's the very first gift listed in Galatians chapter five. The fruit of the spirit. It doesn't say the thing you do by yourself so that you look like a good person. I've looked at it. It doesn't even say that in the Greek. 
No, it says that the thing that the Holy Spirit gives to you when you fall in love with Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the gifts that Jesus wants to give you and place them in your heart. And if you love him, as, you compel, as you're compelled to pursue him, God gives you these gifts. And guess what? Yes, they're all different gifts, but I believe that these gifts are all wrapped in love. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love touch. Love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is the habit of love. Gentleness is the forgetfulness of love. Self-control is love holding the reins of your behavior. Love is an action, and love is wrapped up in each and every one of these. And when you fall in love with Jesus, and it, his, his spirit compels your heart to love him more, he changes you from the inside out. And guess what, folks? That's a miracle, and it's called the miracle of love. And you know the reason we have this promise? Jesus told us in John 14, 23, he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Folks, if you've said you love Jesus, if you've surrendered to him as your Lord and Savior, he's living in you. And that love that you have for him compels your pursuit of him every single day. And folks, if you've lost sight of that, if you don't feel like pursuing him, if you don't feel like serving him, if you're not drawn to him, then I suggest that you go home today and you get down on your knees and you say, Lord, I need more of you because the more you know Jesus, the more you want to pursue him. Because his love and the outworking of his love in your life is that you would love him and pursue him and make him the priority of everything. Love compels your pursuit. And you know what? If this happens to you, if this fruit is born in your life, if God's transforming your heart and your mind, guess what happens? The love of God in your heart compels you to pursue others. Because folks, we have the greatest news that ever, ever has been told. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, for the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who live should what? No longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Do you know that this word compels actually means that the love of Christ presses down on us? That it squeezes us. And not in a burdensome way, but if I had a little ball, I was actually going to bring one in today. If I had a little ball and I just pushed on it, on this table, and the pressure between the table and my hand and the ball was here, eventually, you know what would happen? That ball would shoot out into the crowd. That's what Paul's saying. That when you understand the love of the Father, and when that love of the Father grips your heart and your life, that the love of Christ in your life is so pressing in on every aspect of your life that you just want to shoot out and tell the entire world. That's what he's saying. It compels you. Why? Because if he died for everyone and he died and rose again for you, then that love and your understanding of that love compels you each and every day to share that news with other people. Folks, I'll never understand why we as Christians are afraid to share our faith with other people. 
People are perishing. People don't know his love. And does anybody in this room think that someone's life is, f- is filled with any joy, with any peace, with any patience, any comfort, if they don't know the love of God? And if we love them, why are we not sharing this with them? It's his love that compels us. It's his love that why Jesus told us the number one pursuit, the number one priority in our life should be to love the Lord our gods with all our hearts, all our soul, with all our mind. That this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we talk about this. We talk about love of neighbor, but I don't think we really understand what that means, do we? I had, I had a friend recently that asked me this question. And it drilled home in my heart. He said, if there's something that you would do for your child that you won't do for your neighbor, then you haven't quite learned love a neighbor. And I said, ooh, you're getting personal. <laughs> right? Some of you think that right now. Oh, pastor, you're getting personal. Like if your neighbor's messed up, over and over and over again and are in debt and they can't even get themselves out of it and they don't even have credit to buy a car for themselves. Would you co-sign a car with them? And you think to yourself, there's no way I would do that. I work my whole life for credit, right? I have good credit. That's the reason why I have credit. I worked the whole life. But if it was your kid, you might do it. And Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Folks, I don't think this world has ever seen yet Christian people who are willing to live this out completely every single day. It's a tough thing, but here's what I'm trusting that God's doing in me. I'm trusting that as I pursue his love and as I grow in his love and I realize how much he loves me and as I, as his love, compels me to pursue him, that as I grow in my relationship with him, I keep leading into him, that his love that's bearing fruit in my life is going to help me love others better and to share God's love with them. That's what I'm believing. That's what I'm pursuing. That's why I think we have to read this because this is the fact, guys. This is the fact that Paul makes very clear from the beginning of this verse to the end of this verse, that there are things that in this world that are passing away that there are temporary things that when we pursue them without love, we have nothing. But when we pursue them, we, when we pursue that which is eternal, we have everything. Someone once told me, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, if you read 1 Corinthians 13 through the lens of Jesus and place Jesus' name in every single one of the places that it says love, then you'll come to truly understand the love of Jesus. Because it's simple to see. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I have not Jesus, I'm nothing. If I have all knowledge and have all mysteries, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I don't have Jesus, I have nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not Jesus, I gain nothing. And if we want to understand what Jesus is calling us to, how his love compels us and changes our lives, then we put our name in the place of love. So I have to ask myself, can Dan literally read? Dan is patient and kind. Eh, sometimes. Dan does not envy or boast. Dan's not arrogant or rude. Dan does not insist on his own way. Hmm. This is a little, Dan is not irritable or resentful. Dan bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
His love's gonna compel me to live that way. It's how he wants to compel you and I to live that way because nothing outlasts love. It should be the priority of our life. It should be the pursuit of our life. And everything else should come into place. It's why he pursued you. It's why he pursued you. It's why we have an entire book about the God of heaven who created everything, pursued you. It's why he sent his son to stretch out on a cross and die for you. It's why once that grips your heart, you have nothing else but to pursue him. Because his spirit inside of you is birthing love in a way that you didn't think was possible. And joy that exceeds everything. And peace that surpasses any understanding. And patience. Patience for people that drive you crazy. And kindness. Kindness that makes the world wonder what's wrong with you. Right? And gentleness. Gentleness for people. In a world that put props up power and might and self-control the ability to control your actions and pursue love it's what he does in your heart and he transforms your heart he wants to transform each and every person in this room's heart so that his love is such a priority such a pursuit that when you look at people who do not have his love you can't help but share it And if we would do that, church, gosh, if we would do that, where you would have to build another building. I believe that. And each and every day that I go out there, I see people and I know that they need to hear it. And that's why we're here. That's why God's given us his love. That's why he's changing us. That's why we go to do it. Because that's what love's got to do with it. So let's read this passage one more time as we finish our series in light of what we learn. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not, it doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now, the pursuit, the priority of my life is faith hope, and love which abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Father, I know that there's people in this room right now who maybe even for the first time are hearing about your love. That they they didn't grow up with an understanding of the fact that they are lovable, that that the God who created everything gave everything for them. 
And right now inside their heart, they're, they're grasping for that understanding. They want to know you more. Lord, call them to yourself. Tell them, show them. Help them realize your love. Lord, for those of us that are here in this place that know your love and maybe we've stopped pursuing it. We've stopped pursuing you. There's other things, other priorities, other pursuits in our life that have gotten in the way of our pursuing that which lasts, outlasts everything. Lord, show us ways. Give us your, your strength. Holy Spirit, give us the ability this week to stop doing that which is temporary and pursue that which is eternal. And Lord, for our church, I would just ask that we as a church, knowing that nothing else on this earth, nothing else we could do is going to outlast the love of you, you for us, that we would be so compelled by that truth that we would want to do everything in our power to reach this town and the people that live in this area for you. That we would radically love our neighbor as ourselves. That people would see Jesus in the way that we live. And they would come to know you as Lord. But we can't do this on our own. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.